And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Good afternoon and welcome. Great to have you on board for the Friday edition of Lifeline. Finally made it here. It's the 11th of May. Quick reminder, of course, this Sunday is Mother's Day. So I trust if you're listening to me right now, that means you've either bought the gift for mom or are on your way, or maybe you planned a nice uh, luncheon or dinner for Sunday. But whatever happened to being your plans, make sure you treat mom well. We're going to treat you well over the next couple of hours here this evening as we uh, keep you company. And as we do so, we're going to lead off with some of the big stories of the week. And of course, uh, one of the, the big stories that's uh, capturing some attention is the fact that <sighs> nice change of pace. Stocks riding a seven-day winning streak today on Wall Street. Energy shares ruled the day. Oil prices continue to surge even after the president has vowed to pull us out of the Iran nuclear deal, or actually did the D. Today, the Dow Jones Industrial Average gaining almost 100 points to close the day up 92 to 24,831. Lots going on in the world of money, and one guy who's had his eye on it for many, many years and gives you the perspective that, quite frankly, both the Wall Street insiders and even Washington, D.C. doesn't want you to know. He is nationally syndicated talk show host, money expert Phil Grandy from Phil's Gang. Phil, great to have you on the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Good afternoon. Well, nice relief, as they say, a nice uptick here, seven-day winning streak today on Wall Street. Well, we're still, what, almost 1,800 points down from the high of January of the 26th of this year. Still, it, it feels good to see us back in some positive territory for the year. Yeah, I was just disappointed with the volume. The volume was not very good today, but the... Uh and, and the leadership, I, you know, I want to see the banks leading, and, and we didn't get the leadership out of the banks. Oils are, of course, still going up a little bit, but they're starting to fade a little because, uh, as you know, most of that has to do with the geopolitical stuff that's going on rather than uh, economies around the world are booming and they need oil. So, but uh, but all in all, the big thing we've got to get back up to that date that you said, January 26th. That's the real test. And if they can't make it, then we're going to go down uh, and break to new lows. So the the court is still out on this. So we're we're uh, and the volume has really been the problem. We're just not seeing the institutions coming in here and participating the way they should. Why do you think that there's been this degree of of lethargy in the markets over the last many months? I mean, we certainly ended 2017 on a high note. We began on a high note in 2018, and then it just seems as if it sort of ran out of steam at the end of the month. Some have said that it's kind of in this uh, this multi-year bull run, just kind of run out of energy. And, and what's curious is a lot of the fundamentals are strong. We're seeing decent price-earnings ratios. We're seeing decent quarterly reports coming in from a lot of the big names and the blue chip as well as on the NASDAQ. So what, what would you say is, is sort of creating this, this lethargy? It's the earnings, because the earnings are in the rears. The big problem we got is earnings going forward. Now, earnings is everything, and because we had the tax cut, and we picked up about a 7% gain in the earnings, but that was old news that showed up uh, in these earnings, meaning that we knew going back to the night that Trump was elected and going forward uh, to 2018 that we would get a bump in these earnings. That's good news. The bad news is going forward, we have a problem because the dollar is surging and we already have a trade deficit. Therefore, the earnings aren't going to be that good. They probably won't match. And we also got, again, the growth, our growth as you you know, in the second, first quarter, 2018, lagged the the uh, numbers, the the growth we had in the last quarter of 2017. So the big problem is going forward. 
wages are low. We're not getting the wages we need. And they're just worried about the trade deficit because the dollar is just too high right now. We've got to get that dollar down. The only way they can do that is with QE. As you, you know, they, they probably start taking that. That's the other problem, that the 10-year Treasury rate's high. Uh, you know, that 3%, that's becoming a problem. They're worried about that as well. So it almost seems as if this big tax cut that got so much hype at the beginning of the year turned out to be a bit of a double-edged sword in that it was a nice bump to corporate earnings. And we've seen some companies even come back and do huge stock buybacks like Apple. But it's the sustainability, of course, that becomes a problem. You take the big the big boost here at the beginning of the year, and then you get into the second and third quarters. Like, okay, what have you done for me lately? Is that essentially the challenge? Yeah, and that's why the that's why you're not seeing the institutions, the insurance companies, the hedge funds not coming in here. That's why you're seeing this lag after that 10% correction. It's not going right back up. Because, it's, yeah, that, that's another problem. And, uh, I mean, just a host of, of things that are concerning. And uh, the growth is the big problem. We're just not having the growth. We're not getting the wages. And and, and, and you've got the health care that hasn't been settled. Uh, it was great today that Trump came out with the prescription drugs. That was good news, trying to cut those back. The, the problem is when people aren't getting increased wages for, for all these years, uh, that that that's tough, and uh, you know the wages stay flat, and then you got of course the inflation knocking up that ten-year treasury. But the real problem is you got the short-term uh, uh, rate, which is now catching up to the ten-year. We're at three percent on the ten-year. The short is only uh, two and a half. That spells recession. In the last seven recessions, uh, they always always been spot on. As soon as that, as soon as that short-term two-year got close to that. Ten-year uh, always turned into a recession, so they're worried about the recession, worried about the interest rates, um, and worried about earnings. When the Fed decided in the May meeting to leave the rate currently as it is, in spite of the fact that they have been signaling signaling since last year that it would probably be a multiple series of interest rate increases throughout 2018, what do you think was going through their minds? What drove that decision? Well, the problem is that, you know, when, when, when Greenspan, of course, in two years, drove rates up 17 times, she only drove up rates, well, I think, what, five times. And they, they really had to drive those rates up because one side, they're saying the economy's doing great. And the question is, well, if the economy's doing great, why aren't you raising rates more than you are? And same thing with if the economy's great, then how come we have, uh, you know, a good economy, but wages aren't going up? And uh, and that's that's another big problem because wages aren't increasing, even though the economy is supposed to be doing better. But there's answers for that, too, because we got robots taking most of the um, uh, uh, jobs. We also have uh, which is unusual. We used to only have contracts with executives. They couldn't go leave and compete. Now it's all going down all the way through the workers. So there's a lot of uh, you know non-competes out there. So they people can't go out and ask you know the boss for for a uh, for a raise. There's a, such a host of problems. But the real thing is these stocks are 30 to 40 percent overvalued because of the stock buybacks of five trillion dollars for heaven's sakes in, in a site of eight years and and now with the tax cut instead of using that money for capital investment to get the wages up they're, they're using what over 150 what billion dollars now a month in stock buybacks that's insane that that's the real problem yeah i suppose if you're a stockholder you like a little increase in the dividends and um, companies in there as you say with the big stock buybacks but that's not really getting down 
down and filtering into the areas that we were promised, and that is uh, reaching the average worker. And it's interesting to note um, in the latest report out of the Labor Department indicating that while the small business optimist index uh, is just up a fraction from uh, in April as it was from March, the small business sector is reporting that their continued frustration is finding qualified workers. And I have to wonder how much of that inability to find, quote unquote, qualified workers is directly tied into wages. Well, there's a problem there because, again, we, we don't have the qualified workers to run these robots. That's number one. You have robots, but you got to get people to run them. Uh, we, again, we don't have the, uh, the work. The jobs that are open and we can't fill are high-tech jobs that need training. And companies have not been training people because they don't use that money for for training or R&D. They put it in their pocket when they're doing these stock buybacks. So there's the vacuum is that, you know, they're, they're, none of these corporations are saying, hey, let's let's look to the future, start training our people so that we're ready when we do have robots and so forth. And, and that's another, another thing. They're, they're these stock buybacks, they just don't do R&D anymore. Uh, the government's cut back 42% of their R&D. Um, it's, it's really, this, this, this stock buyback is, is creating a real mess and it's going to be the cause of our stock market crash. Is it fair to say that this is perhaps sort of backfiring on the intentions of the administration when the proposal to reduce the corporate uh, tax rate by, what, 15% or so was first proposed? Yeah, they, they, they knew that uh, this was going to happen. That's why they didn't mandate it. I mean, they were talking in the beginning about mandating it where if they didn't give uh, back, uh, if they didn't use some of the money for capital investment, they'd lose part of their tax cut. But they knew the corporations are, weren't going to uh, put money back in when there's no demand for the corporations. I mean, if you think about if you have no demand, if you're making uh, uh, hats and there's no demand for hats, you know, it's, it's, why are you going to buy new equipment? And for hat making, when you're not going to produce anything more, the new machine's going to be sitting there. And so the administration knew this was going to happen because the corporations, even if the guy's not greedy, just the CEOs, he's being responsible. He said, look, why will I put uh, you know my money back into capital investment when there's no demand for products anywhere and the economy can't grow? The economy's not growing. So I'm not going to put my money in. I'm going to buy our own stock back. And that's the big problem right there. There's no demand. If you've just joined our conversation, we're visiting with money expert Phil Grandy. He is the host of the nationally syndicated radio program, Phil's Gang. It's heard every Monday through Friday at 12 noon Pacific time on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. Coming up tomorrow, Saturday, May the 12th, from noon until 3 p.m. Eastern time. That'll be 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific time here in California. There is a very special webinar that Phil is going to be conducting that helps offer insights into not only all the machinations, and gyrations going on on Wall Street, but most importantly, how you as an individual working on saving for retirement can learn the movement of the markets and take advantage of that movement for your own personal gain. Information available about this special webinar. Again, the date is tomorrow, Saturday, May the 12th. It'll be 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. California time and details and reservations available on the web at philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. We'll take a brief time out. More details on the webinar. More of our conversation as we take a look at the world of money with Phil Grandy here on the Friday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our very special guest. He is the host of the nationally syndicated radio program, Phil's Gang, heard every Monday through Friday at 12 noon Pacific time on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW, great source for money and business information. And of course, Phil has been in the world of Wall Street and money for many, many years. He's involved in training people on how to really understand the way the markets work in a no-nonsense, straightforward fashion, demystifies it all, gives you the inside story that, quite frankly, Wall Street and the big fat cat money guys don't want you to know, and then gives you the tools necessary so that you can essentially put to work your knowledge to make money for your financial future. Information, by the way, about a very special webinar, and we're going to get more details to you on in a moment. That webinar taking place tomorrow, Saturday, 9 a.m. till noon Pacific time, and you can get information right now on the web by going to philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Today, Phil, the president, of course, announcing that moves are being made to lower prescription drug prices. That certainly is good news. And while there's been some effort to try to repeal some of the more onerous aspects of the Obamacare legislation, it still remains a major gap, both in terms of of assuring affordable health care for everybody and doing something to to deal with the inflation rate of health care, which continues to run at double digits. What do you think the reaction is going to be by the pharmaceutical companies on word of this announcement by the president today? Well, I I think at the market, I was looking at some of the stocks just kind of, you know, they, they don't know what to think of it right now. They got to let this short out for the next couple of days, but they're scared to death, of course, of the, uh, you know, they're 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 getting it easy with the, uh, you know, they can keep that, develop that drug and uh, keep it for about 12 years, and the exclusivity on it. That's what they're really worried about, and I, I think Trump is going to get that pushed through, but he's going to have a lot of problems in Congress because uh, these boys have lobbyists, and uh, Congress likes putting their hand out. And that that's the big problem is the generic drug. They got to get these drugs and let people buy your drugs, you know, from Canada or elsewhere. But these generic drugs, that's what the that's what the uh, the these uh, companies are worried about. They they don't they want to have that, uh, you know, 10, 12 years. I think the average drug what five years now, six years. They keep something like that, but they got to shorten that time. And I think that's what's going to spook them. I don't think the stocks, as far as the stocks, there wasn't much reaction to in the stocks today. We had a couple of stocks pop up, but I don't think there's going to be much reaction. Yeah, it may take a while for them to fully digest uh, the potential significance of all of this. And, of course, one of the long-term challenges has been, in addition to these lengthy periods of time in which they can continue to hold uh, the medications that they develop as proprietary, then there's always been this notion that, well, they're arguing the prices need to be high because they've got to re- recoup all of their R&D costs. And in scant times, they admit, oh, by the way, we're also getting big chunks of money coming in from HHS and other uh, departments within the federal government for development dollars, for research dollars. So they're, they're kind of playing both ends against the middle here, aren't they? Uh, yeah. And if you really look at some of their the numbers, I mean, they're spending more money on marketing, for heaven's sakes, and sales than R&D. Uh, I mean, they're really, I mean, they, 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 these are marketing companies. They spend a fortune on marketing these drugs, and that's one of the big beefs. Is look, you guys keep on spending more money on marketing and sales than research and development, and then that, they come back and say, "Well, yeah, but we to recoup our our investment. We need twelve years." Yeah, right. It's a tough one because you're going up. It's like going up against the NRA. I mean, these guys have strong lobbyists. 
Undoubtedly so. It'll be interesting to see the way all of this plays out. Now, another arena that's capturing some headline news this week, of course, has been the president's announcement of the United States withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal. Now, at a level, people, I think, need to be mindful. This was never a ratified treaty. It was simply basically an executive decision by Mr. Trump's predecessor, Barack Obama. And the president has every right to say, no, don't think it's a good idea. And so on behalf of the United States, I am withdrawing from this. This was a deal that the president made, Barack Obama, with Iran, not the United States of America. That said, what do you see as the potential impact here in terms of oil prices? We've seen an uptick in oil, certainly over the last quarter. Um, And now some concerns as the U.S. may reimpose sanctions on Iran, whether or not OPEC is going to respond in a favorable fashion, give us a little bit of breathing room here, or are we going to continue to see oil prices go up? And if so, how does that benefit U.S. oil industry? Well, it's interesting. Like anything else, when the announcement comes out, most of what's uh, you know the, 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 the what's going to happen already happened. Meaning, in the last twenty six months, oil's gone up one hundred sixty one percent because inside everybody knew that he was not going. He was he was he was going to pull back. So much of the boost in oil is or because of what he did uh, has already taken place. Just like the same thing with the tax cuts. Most of the uh, you know benefit of the tax cuts showed up in the market. You know in the last year, it, you know the stocks went up. So same thing with oil. But uh, I, I I think the the big thing here now with Iran is um, you know the other you know which countries are going to behave themselves. And not, you know, buy oil from Iran. You know, that that's, you know, who's going to support us? Who's going to stick with us here? That's going to be the real problem. But I think as far as oil, I don't think you're going to, if this was 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I'd say, you know, hey, here we go, oil storage. I don't think so. I mean, it's just like, there's so much oil out there right now, just like gas. I mean, they just can't even give gas away. I don't think it's going to have much of an impact. Now, they, they produce, what is it? They produce like two, two and a half million barrels a day or export two and a half million barrels a day. Now it's going to get cut in half from what I understand understand. But I don't think it's going to be uh, much on the market. I don't think you're going to see uh, much pressure on, on, on oil or oil stocks. And certainly at this juncture, the United States uh, sort of as a reversal of fortunes from the uh, the oil and gas shortages of the 1970s, we actually export more oil than we import today. And so, you know, while that gives us, I think, a certain comfort level in terms of accessibility, it doesn't do much in terms of giving us any relief at the pumps, though, does it? It never shows up at the pumps. <laughs> I was in that business. Never shows up at the pumps. <laughs> Phil, we've mentioned a couple of times about your upcoming webinar that will be taking place tomorrow, Saturday, from 9 until noon Pacific time. Tell us a bit about exactly what you're going to be teaching and sharing. Well, I thought it was a good time because, you know, this market's been on a you know straight uh, trend up for 10 years here and people are so um, you know uh, they're, they're, they're just they just don't think the market's going to come down again uh, and this market is going to this will probably be the biggest collapse we're going to have that'll be bigger than the first two combined I mean talking about going back to 1987 going back to you know 2000 uh, 2008 I, I think that the, um, the, the right now is a good opportunity to start learning not only how to short a market but how to identify I want to show people it's easy to identify when a market there's a problem and it's going to correct and there's certain signals uh, that 
it. You just got to learn. It's not hard. Anybody can do it. And that's what I want to teach. I want to show people, but be prepared. You know, maybe the market will never come down again in our lifetime. You know, maybe they'll keep doing stock buyback forever. But at some point, it's going to happen. And this one's going to be so violent this time because we're so over. We ne- we've never had a market overpriced like this before in the history of the market. This one's going to be very violent. So you want to take advantage and not only know when to, if you have a 401k, you'll know, you know, hey, you got to get out or do something, hedge it. Uh, most likely. Uh, and that's what I'm going to try to teach. And I, then I'm going to also show them how to make money. And they don't have to short a stock to make money. People are scared to short. I'm going to show them a technique where we can buy a stock. So when the market's going down, one stock you buy, it's called an inverse. As the market goes down, this stock goes up, so you're not afraid of shorting. But it's an opportune time. People, people are just too complacent. You know, they don't think the market's ever going to go down again. We just saw the VIX index drop. Did you see that? The VIX, the fear, they just dropped. <laughs> you see, like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, a little a little uh, shot on the arm of reality here. Folks forget that we're talking less than a decade ago when we saw the markets clear down at, what was it, 6,000 and change back in March of 2009. And while we love to see it up in these uh, stratosphere range of uh, 23, 24, 25,000, to think that that's just always going to continue and, and not to understand the dynamics of what's happened to these markets historically, it really, really sort of not only defies logic, but it also ignores the reality of history. And there's too many similarities. Really scary between now and 1987. If you remember, we had the Four Horsemen oh, yes. back then. And now we have the Five Fang stocks. And everything looks almost the same. Matter of fact, the charts, I, we overlaid the chart the other day. It was so scary, so similar. It was incredible. And and so it's it just a lot. The same thing when the market crashed uh, in, in 1987. We had the trade deficit problem. Same thing today. We have a trade deficit problem. There's a lot of similarities going on. So I just think it's a great opportunity to to uh, you know help people to identify for them. if they want it that's fine uh, you know if they don't fine but th- this is going to be an unbelievable crash and it is going to happen I predicted on uh, January 16th that we would have a 10% correction between then and the second week of February and it happened on January 26th I was right on it uh, and I'm predicting between now and uh, November uh, we're going to have quite a correction A good dose of a reality-based investment advice and insight from Phil Grandy. Information again about the webinar that will be held tomorrow, Saturday, between 9 a.m. and 12 noon California time. Available on the web at philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. We'll take this brief time out, come back to more insights with Phil Grandy as our conversation continues here on the Friday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Visiting today with Phil Grandy from Phil's Gang. And, of course, Phil is offering that special seminar, the webinar tomorrow, available California time from 9 a.m. till 12 noon. You can get complete details by going to philsgang.com and easily register online. philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Do it tonight. Phil, one of your senators from uh, your part of the world there has introduced a new bill. Uh, The bill is dealing with the issue of fair trade or the lack thereof between the United States and China. He is calling this bill the Fair Trade with China Enforcement Act. It was um, unveiled on the Senate floor on Thursday. Now, as I understand it, this bill would make it illegal for American companies to sell national security and, and, and similarly related sensitive technology and intellectual property to China. I find it shocking that that's not already illegal. And, and how do we even go about effectively negotiating 
proper tariffs with China and finding some degree of parity with a country that does not recognize copyrights, doesn't recognize intellectual property, is more than happy to steal trade secrets, um, steal uh, manufacturing secrets, and then market products uh, on their own and at every level undercut uh, manufacturers from the United States. I mean, it, it, it seems at a level as if we're kind of in here now saying, oh, time to close the barn door. We think the horse got out. Yeah, and I think the only way that we're going to be able to be successful is that, uh, you know, President Trump looks like a whack job. You know, let the d- Democrats keep calling him crazy and he'll do, you know, he wants to war and pull the trigger. Uh, you know, I think China, uh, you know, will take him serious like they, they certainly didn't take Obama or Bush serious. But I think the only way that we can deal with China, OK, and, and, and get what we want is we just got to keep showing our strength. And I think Trump's been doing a great thing with that. And I, and he, I think he's got a great relationship with him, although you can't trust him. But I think better than any other president I, I, I've witnessed that he's got, a, uh, maybe the Nixon. But um, I think you just got to keep showing strength. And that's what Obama didn't do. And that's why we're, 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 we got such a problem. But I think they respect him, don't you? Well, they're certainly finally in a position where there's somebody that's calling their bluff, which we haven't seen going, my goodness, back to even the Clinton administration never bothered right. to call uh, the bluff on Beijing or or to call into question why it is that when they export goods to the United States, we tap, um, attack a 2% tariff on top of it and then sell uh, the goods at market. But when we export something for sale in China, they tack on 25% and nobody thought that was a problem. <laughs> I know. I, look, I, our policy has just always been weak because our Congress has always been scared to death they're not going to keep buying our treasuries. And that, that's how they've gotten away with it. You know, they keep, keep hanging that over our head. But they're not going to stop buying our treasuries because we, we, we need to borrow. They need us to borrow money so that we can buy their stuff from them. Well, that's the other big issue here that seems to be sort of left out of the equation. Aren't we their number one customer? I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, when you are not only the biggest, but in some arenas, the only customer, uh, it would yeah. seem to me that to a great degree, we're kind of in the catbird seat here, more than what Washington, D.C. heretofore has been willing to admit. Yeah, they're underestimating because, you know, they keep saying how China keeps saying how they're building their own middle class. Give me a break. You don't build a middle class in a communist country. You try to get rid of a middle class in a communist country. <laughs> it's the last thing. And even Obama tried to get rid of the middle class, and he was a so- he's a socialist, remember? But that's why I think it's a bunch of nonsense because they need us. Uh, they, they got to buy. Who else are, are they going to get 3% from that is a stable country? I mean, uh, I, I, I think uh, this fear they're going to stop buying our treasuries and start dumping our treasuries, a bunch of nonsense. Well, it is just that. I, I think it's uh, short-sighted on the part of those that would suggest they would do that. And if China would suggest themselves, if Beijing would suggest that that would be the case, I think they're just simply bluffing. And, you know, it's it's the old adage that whoever blinks first loses. Um, they have repeatedly shown their hand, and I think it's smart of the administration to say, okay, if you, if you, if you really want to go down this road, let's go down this road. The numbers at the end of the day tell the real story, and the numbers, I think, suggest that, uh, if anything, if anybody's here in the driver's seat, it's the United States, and sadly, historically, we've just never acted like it. Exactly. And trade deficits are the root of all economic evils when it comes to us. I mean, these trade deficits, we've got to take be tough. 
And I'm so glad to see what uh, he did with Iran, because what he did with Iran shows China and all these other countries uh, that he's tough. And he's going to do what's right for our country, not always politically correct, but what he feel is right. And and we can't, like you said, we can't sit there, you know, we, we got to play tariffs at 25, 35 percent for tires or whatever. We go over there they and they can ship them here. And we don't. And this is ridiculous. And, uh, and the only thing they've always, always, always held over our head was the treasuries. And I, I never understood that. I mean, who else are they going to go and buy treasuries from that are as stable as we are? Well, that's just it. They're not. And and perhaps, too, while some on the announcement of the withdrawal of the uranium deal uh, said it was crazy, it may actually be crazy like a fox. Um, just on the, the leading edge of the upcoming meeting with Kim Jong-un uh, for the United States to show that willingness to send a message to a country developing nuclear weapons that we're not going to roll over easy. So perhaps that demonstration of might, so to speak, in advance of the June meeting in Singapore with North Korea was the smart thing to do. And the reason that China was so influential with, with, with North Korea, and they were really a big part of this, is because they believe Trump, that they that tr- Trump has strength, not like Obama and Bush and the rest of them. I mean, they they believe that Trump is a strong guy, and 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 that's why for the first time they were so helpful in getting this thing uh, this organized in, in Korea, North Korea, because of the respect they have for him. You know, it's just like the guy in the schoolyard, right? The bully. All of a sudden, you start standing up to him, you find out what a coward he is. That's exactly right. <laughs> I was yeah. just thinking of the same analogy. Let's yeah. come back full circle, Phil. We mentioned about this special webinar that you're going to be holding tomorrow, Saturday, again from 9 a.m. until noon, California time, and folks can register and get more information online at philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Walk us through briefly, if you would, for a lot of folks to say, you know, I hear about these Wall Street numbers every day, and yeah, I've got some money aside in my 401k or an IRA, but I'm a little intimidated by the markets, or I've thought, gee, we've seen such spectacular numbers here. My goodness, even Craig mentioned back in March of 09, the markets were at 6,000 and change. Look where they're at today. Any fool can make money in this market. Is that necessarily the case? And what what do you offer to the layman to help better understand exactly the ebb and flow of the markets? Well, the, the thing is, right now, the, the market, if, if, look, first of all, we had two things that, that drove this market. Okay, first thing, as I mentioned before, you go, we had the stock buybacks. Now, that's a big part, and that, that's just a tool used to artificially inflate bottom line earnings. And, and, and a lot of these stocks, uh, I mean, this is just, uh, these, these buybacks are just accounting trickery. So a lot of these stocks are way overpriced, but you also got to understand that we also had QE, which was nothing more than a confidence game. When you put QE together, and stock buybacks and and for the last 10 years as a result we have this inflated market if you didn't get in earlier uh and you decide well i think i'm gonna get in now this is the worst time to be getting in if you're going to get in you want to get in with an etf trading individual stocks is real dangerous the first stocks that are really going to get hit are going to be the fang stocks they're the ones that are going to get pounded first and and, and including J- uh, john's uh, uh you know apple and microsoft they are really going these things are so overvalued they're going to get plowed under 
And it's one of them that is going to start. It's going to tip the market over and start to crash. It's going to be one of the FANG stocks because I mean they're what about 30, they, they 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 take about thirty two percent of the the gains of the whole stock market. These five stocks. If you, I mean if, if you put in the FANG stocks and Apple and Microsoft. So it's it's ridiculous. So it's really tough to try to get in and buy today. So I would say an, an average person should really sit on the sidelines right now, go to cash, uh, and he should, uh, you know, if he wasn't in the market already. We love seeing retail customers come in right now. Then we're more convinced the market's going to crash. And certainly, as you mentioned, looking at those those top tier stocks, Facebook, Apple, or Amazon, certainly often quoted in there, uh, Netflix, Google, uh, valid concerns over all this, both in terms of the evaluations and uh, the notion that any one of those, because you know the the old adage, well, a bank is too big to fail. Well, not always, as we've learned, and that same thing may hold true for any of these companies. And so, as you point out, this could literally begin. The, the tipping point. You're going to be offering insights to all of these issues and more coming up right. tomorrow, Saturday. And I understand, Phil, folks can easily go online to register for the webinar yeah. at philsgang.com. Yes, and it's only seventy dollars, and oh, we 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 keep that price. So if you do learn, and you feel you're getting value, and you start using, you're making money. Just remember St. Jude, because that's the real reason why we do these webinars. It gives us an opportunity to raise money for St. Jude. We can reach out to new people. They join our gang. uh, They start making money, and they donate to St. Jude. So that's another reason why we do these. Some great resources available to you again tomorrow, Saturday, from nine until noon. Information available about the webinar by going to philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Well, Mr. Grandy, always an education to have you join us on the program. And uh, I guess we'll, uh, I'll use your line. We'll see you on the charts. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You can be uh, sure that at some point when Congress gets away from their other financial distractions, they will return once again to the topic of gun control. They did as they did so following the Sandy Took events. Joining me now with some insights, we're joined by Bill Frady. Bill is host of the nationally syndicated program called Lock and Load, presented by Gun Owners of America. Bill, thanks for taking some time to be with us tonight. Um, I, I guess only the distraction of other things going on in Washington, D.C., um, has has temporarily de- the delayed the parade of once again renewed demands to uh, truncate the Second Amendment rights. Yeah, yeah. Right now they've got bigger fish to fry. Uh, it, it's really, you know, in the United States uh, since Sandy Hook, uh, there's been five studies and surveys taken. Uh, two of them, or actually three of them, are quite notable because one was Harvard, one was the CDC, and one that was the Justice Department. And what the CDC found out is uh, John Lott's numbers and Gary Kleck's numbers and all of, all the numbers that we hear about two and a half million, three million gun uses per year in defense are true. And that law-abiding gun owners are very good people. They don't break the law. They, they, they don't snap because they're carrying the evil gun. Uh, police, uh, the, we had the police one survey where they did 15,000 police officers across the country. And uh, the lowest percentage... Uh, police that were talking about they preferred having Americans armed with guns was in the 80 percentile. Uh, they don't believe more gun control is going to stop crime or do anything. Uh, then, of course, we had uh, Pew Research Center and uh, I think I've named them all now. Crime is down 49 percent. Gun violence, violent crime across the board is down half of what it was 20 years ago. It, it's a non-problem. 
And But that's not why they're pursuing gun control. So that's why they continue to pursue gun control. It has nothing to do with personal safety or uh, preventing crime because gun control doesn't prevent crime. It, it uh, motivates crime. Well, and, you know, the, the absolute irony in almost without failure, every one of these cases from the White House, I'm sorry, from the uh, wire story that I'm reading right here um, that suggests that the uh, potential woman in this uh, event there on Capitol Hill today, 34-year-old Miriam Carey, um, a dental hygienist from Connecticut who, quote, was described by sources as having a history of mental illness, close quote. Certainly in the case of uh, the Naval Shipyard shooter, a history of mental illness. There seems to be a common thread in in almost every one of these cases, as eager as Congress is to try to move in and outlaw guns, how come nobody's attempting to try and outlaw mental illness? Well, that's because they would have to treat it differently. Um, uh, Dr. Keith Ablow is a psychiatrist that writes for Fox News, and he, he was talking about Aaron Alexis, and Aaron Alexis could have been redeemed. Most of these people could be redeemed, but what happens is they go to a they go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and they get some over-the-counter, well, over-oral medication, like Paxil or Ritalin or Zoloft or one of those psychotropic compounds, and that really doesn't address their issue. The ones that are deeply, I mean, Aaron Alexis, he did everything but uh, write out a letter, big block letter. Somebody needs to help me. He went to the police. He went to the VA. He had shoot. He had two shooting incidents prior to uh, getting cleared to work at the naval shipyard, um, and and still nobody did anything. And, and ironically, nobody looking at any of the psychiatrists involved in this and saying, gee, we need to do an investigation into potential malpractice here because of the failure of the mental health professionals to aggressively respond or react to the obvious cry for help. Uh, you know, I don't know if the, these guys fall under the uh, the heading of medical misadventure, but um, if you want to go after the two biggest killers in the United States, or two, I think the average is two and a half million people die unnaturally per year. And the biggest killers are alcohol and tobacco and then medical misadventure, which kills about 200,000 people a year. And I don't know if these, these poor people that uh, fall through the cracks of the mental health system could be listed under medical misadventure, but they, uh, they certainly need to, they need to take a very serious look at the way they're treating these people. One of the states that, that ironically has um, come across fairly unscathed in terms of this kind of widespread bloodshed in uh, in recent years and yet has taken some of the hardest line against gun control is uh, the state of California. Um, yeah. There is now an attempt to try, and, and, and I guess at the end of the day, you'll have to help us understand this, Bill. Uh, it, it seems as if it's now gotten down to an attempt to try and outlaw hunting rifles. Well, what they want to do is they want to outlaw all semi-automatic rifles that have a detachable box magazine, which abandons all pretense beyond the assault weapon ban. Now, you, you got to understand, first of all, assault weapon, the term assault weapon is a term that was coined by the uh, Violence Policy Center, which is a rabid anti-gun group. And they turned that back in 1988 as, as a way to uh, cause an emotional reaction to the description, assault weapon. Uh, not a target pistol, not a sporting rifle. Uh, the, the same rifles, by the way, are referred to by the Department of Homeland Security as personal defense weapons. But um, in the hands of, of a civilian, it becomes a, a, an assault weapon. And uh, now they've abandoned all pretense, and they're going just about everything that launches a bullet. Well, the Remington that was used in the naval shipyard shootings, uh, what I understand to be a simple pump-action shotgun, does that suddenly come under the category of an assault weapon? Uh, well, they... One state had a buyback not too since the D.C. shooting. 
And uh, one of the buybacks, somebody bought, uh, turned in a pump shotgun with an extendable stock, and that was the that they uh, claimed they had collected an assault shotgun. Um, one one characteristic that uh, all weapons and you know shotguns arguably uh, are in Aurora. James Holmes killed twelve people. The first weapon he turned on the moviegoers was a Remington 870 shotgun. And uh, my theory, he's probably killed eight people with the shotgun before he went to the center fire rifle. Because a shotgun up close is devastating. It, it is much more dangerous. Uh, at 50 yards, a, a shotgun with the right kind of ammo can take out a car. What this is, is, is simply this. With, with uh, the so-called assault weapons, the military lookalikes that have the same uh, semi-automatic capability as a true assault rifle does when it's in semi-automatic. If they ban those, first of all, it's not going to have any impact on crime because more people get killed with hands and feet every year than they do with any sort of long rifle. They know that, so they ban those or they, they heavily restrict those. And that has no impact on crime, and crime continues on. So then they come back, and I think what you've got in California is you have this happening now. They come back when that first go-round, that first restrictive go-round doesn't work, and they come back and say, well, we didn't ban enough. And they keep on banning and banning until one day you've got a single-shot rifle that, uh, you know. And, and still, you know, that weapon is lethal. I, they, they, what, what Senator Leland Yee and a lot of the politicians in California want is a fairy tale land. It's a land that does not exist. There is no gun-free utopia. That genie is out of the bottle. The criminals are not going to pay attention to it. Well, and we know clearly from the battles over these kinds of issues in times past, the last time we had um, California Senator Dianne Feinstein uh, jump on this bandwagon with both feet and insisting that we needed to uh, permanently ban assault weapons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and how terrible they were and that people should not be carrying guns. And then we find out, oops, she's got a concealed weapons permit. I don't have a problem with her as a senator carrying, but when there is sort of the elitist attitude that certain people get to have guns and others don't, you know, it comes down to one basic thing, that as we see this continued push, it's not addressing the real problem here, number one. And to number two, you're going to wind up with two groups of people having weapons, uh, the police force, which is heading more toward a militaristic style um you know, almost paramilitary troopers, any more than police these days with the way they're being armed, and the criminals. And meanwhile, the law-abiding citizens will simply get caught in the middle, no access to weapons whatsoever, which is kind of seemingly where things are headed if they get their way. Check out LockAndLoadRadio.com. That's LockAndLoadRadio.com, a part of Gun Owners of America. There is Bill.